way into the new year. It's, there's no pulling up. Now, I probably will deviate on Christmas Eve because we will have a Christmas Eve. It's a Sunday morning service. It'll be 10 a.m. only. I'll, I may deviate or I may find a way. You know, I can, you can find Christmas in the tabernacle if you look close enough. And uh, so, but I just wanted you to be aware of this. I'm staying the course because it's on my heart. It's a sermon series that I commenced under the context of the word of faith, Romans 10 and 8. Many of you could quote it by now because we put it on the screen so many times. Today's one of the first, maybe the first time we have not done so. We're not going to do so. But the word of faith is near you. It's in your heart and in your mouth. That is the word of faith which we preach. And the intent of my heart initially was to bring us to the place where we recognize the power of our words, that you speak faith from your heart not just from your head. Actually, it must commence in your heart and then move through the vocal and also your meditation in your head. But that's, I've kind of deviated a little bit, kind of drifted from, from that. I, I will circle back around and come to that at the appropriate time. And it's become more of a journey of faith because we've been journeying with the children of Israel. And I've shared with you uh, of how important it is. Romans 15 and 4 says the things that were written aforetime, King James English, aforetime, were written for our learning Upon whom the ends of the world have come. As Caleb said earlier, we don't know what necessarily the full, uh, you know, implication of ends of this world. But obviously, the scriptures give us comfort and they give us hope, is what Paul concludes that verse with. They give us hope. And we're able to look back through the lens, especially of ancient Israel, and see God painting a picture for us. A portrait, if you will, that we're able to see uh, and, and identify with, and yet God then takes that and it becomes relevant to our lives. Now, we live in a generation where there are some extremely creative ministries, men and women that are preaching or teaching the gospel, and often their style in this kind of, I don't want to say the newer generation, it is more to take an issue of life or a season of life or a situation of life and then find a passage of Scripture that you think addresses that and maybe even adapt to that, whereas myself personally is more of the old school way of doing things, and that is I start with a scriptural account. I begin there. That's where my mind goes through. It doesn't go into your life. It doesn't go into my life. It goes into the biblical uh, record and narrative, and then from there, I see things that I think may be applicable to our generation or our lives personally. So, I don't think it's right or wrong either way. I'm just trying to be transparent before you. That's just how my mind works as I study the scriptures. It's not as creative, again, as some, but it can be just as effective because the word of God does not return to God void. So, to follow our tradition, we're going to read 73 verses of scripture as you stand this morning. No, sorry, just about eight or so today. 1 Corinthians 10 is where we're going to begin at, even though many of you know this now by heart. 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 11 is where we'll start today. If you find it, if you haven't, it's because you've not looked on the screen in front of you because there it is. And um, once you find it, but now I love for you to bring your Bible, especially the authorized version. Now, all these things happened unto them. Who is the them? Who is the them? The Hebrews, the Israelites. Context In the context here, it was during the wilderness journey. We're not reading that passage, but he's already addressed their movement through the wilderness journey. So that season of life has, was captured by the writers so that generationally we could look back and we could see prophetically how that it still relates to our lives today. Come on, amen? Because it's a living and active, the Word of God. They're written for who? For our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Again, Paul alludes to some type of eschatological viewpoint. And so if you believe that we're in the end of the end of the end of the last days, then it behooves you to look closely at this context. Amen? So now let's go back to the book of Numbers before we'll conclude in 2 Corinthians. And the book of Numbers is where we find ourselves now. Last week, we traveled briefly through the book of Leviticus. And I don't want to see you raise your hand who went home and read the book of Leviticus this week. But I told you last week, you'll find a lot of life there if you'll look at it through the right lens. Because God's Word is living. 
What I mean by life, you'll find things that are applicable to you, even though you may say, well, that's the Mosaic Law. There's still some things, and there's a way to see that. I hope that you're seeing it that way. Chapter 5 of the book of Numbers, verses 1 through 4. And the Lord spake unto Moses. We know this is the word of the it's the word of the Lord. The Lord spake unto Moses. We often say the Mosaic Law. This was the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, God, the God, uh, the God, the one true God. He speaks unto Moses and he said, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper and every one that hath an issue. That would cover about half the church at times if people have an issue <laughs> with the pastor. And whosoever is defiled by the dead. Everyone that hath an issue and whosoever is defiled by the dead, both male and female, shall you put, read it closely, shall you put out, without the camp, shall you put them, that they defile not their camps, in the midst whereof I dwell. That's powerful. Let's read this last verse of Scripture. And the children of Israel did so and put them out without the camp, as the Lord spake unto Moses, so did the children of Israel. Now we'll return to 2 Corinthians. We'll read three verses of Scripture. So I think I told you right on about eight verses of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. We used it as part of our Scripture text last week. We're going to back it up one verse. where We, were in, we commenced in the 17th verse. We're going to back it up to the 16th verse. I appreciate your honor to the Word of God by standing. You'll be seated in just a moment. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye, being plural, King James English, ye is plural, speaking to all of us, are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them. Come on, somebody say, where is he seated today, Caleb? He's seated in our heart, isn't he? He is. And collectively, when we come together, he dwells among us now. And I will walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's a beautiful passage. Paul looking back. He's looking back. Wherefore, come out from among them. Oh, I knew it'd be quiet on that. And be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. He's quoting, Paul is quoting from Isaiah, that latter couple of passages. But then he adds this first verse of the seventh chapter. Remember, chapters and verses were added later. So this is continuation of thought. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us, how many know it takes you? You've got to be involved in this journey. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now last week, if you were here with us, if not, you can go back and listen to it. I preached on almost a forgotten subject called holiness. So this week, I'm looking back to, the ancient, uh, to ancient Israel, and I'm going to talk to you today about separate the camp. Separate the camp. Sometimes you get smaller before you get bigger. Sometimes you have to learn to walk alone. Let's pray. God, help us here today. Help us to understand the context and what's being spoken Help us to adapt our heart and mind to it, from the youngest to the eldest, to male and female visitors or the longtime members of our assembly. Help us to look into the, through the lens of the New Testament, into the old, to filter it, that we can see it, Father. See it for what it was, see it for what it is, and then make connection to it as Paul is writing to the church. God, I pray, Lord, teach us about separation and the need for it. In our own lives, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen. come on, somebody, amen and amen. You guys are an awesome group of men and women already today. You're already about to awaken my preacher within me early on. Now, with this, let me go ahead and do what I have typically done, and that is to take you on just a brief journey. The journey has to be much uh, quicker today, and that is to just so that we know, because somebody is new to our service today, they don't really know. So we're following the children of Israel uh, after their deliverance from Egypt. When the children of Israel, now we followed that. We were there. We're not there today. The children of Israel, 430 years as slaves in Egypt. Well, not perhaps all that time they were slaves, but eventually becoming slaves. And then until they were delivered by the mighty hand of God. Right? The mighty hand of God brought the children of Israel out. With great substance, the reward, the children of Israel actually collected 430 years of back pay on their way out. 
as the Egyptians began to pay them to leave. But when they crossed the Red Sea, it was as the fulfillment of biblical prophecy, and that is a nation was born in a day. People that were former slaves suddenly are a nation that's following God. And so they are, they are, they're brought to the, ba- the, the base of Mount Sinai, and there on Mount Sinai, Moses ascends into the presence of God where he hears the voice of God and he receives the Torah, the law of commandments. The word Torah simply means instruction. But we translate it in the King James Version of the Bible as law. Sometimes that's a little bit negative to us, but it means instruction. How many of you remember last week's message? It was very critical because God, in the book of Leviticus, alluded to where they had been, Egypt, and where they were going. And the reason why I interjected that sermon, that passage there in the book of Leviticus, is critical for us to see that God was telling the people that he had chosen. How many know he purchased them? They were bought with a price. The blood of the Passover lamb secured their deliverance to be the people of God. He chose them and redeemed them and called them to himself. But he said, you can't live like the people uh, lived where you were at, Egypt, but you can't live where you're going like the people that are dwelling in the land where you're going, the Canaanites. Does anybody remember that? It was a, it was a, I think it was a powerful principle for us to say, wait a minute, when God calls you out, he puts an expectation upon you, right, to conform your will to his will. And so we looked at that in context of holiness last week and making it applicable to the doctrine that you and I have been taught uh, a, a little bit uh, over the years. Obviously, I hope that I have maintained some measure of teaching on sanctification, consecration, and holiness. But now we come here in the book of Numbers. Let's go back to this. In the book of Numbers, we begin to see additional instruction. So the children of Israel are going to journey. And so some scholars tell us, because when they numbered Israel here in the book of Numbers, they totaled about 600,000 men, 20 years of age and upward. So most believe that it's a possibility of around 2.2 to 2.5 million people, possibly, with wives and children that came out of Egypt. That's a large number to be camped together. Right? That's a lot of people. How many of you know a lot of things negative can happen when that many people come together in a small space? In a lot of areas, not only just uh, judicially and how we, uh, you know, some type of measure of response to whether we're doing people right or not doing people wrong, uh, you know, correctly or living correctly, but even in hygiene. A lot of things can happen. When, uh, one of my most famous uh, uh, favorite verses of Scripture in another passage there, I think in the book of Deuteronomy when he's looking back, God told the children of Israel, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, he told them when you go out to potty, you better keep a little shovel in your back pocket. And you better dig a hole and bury it because God said, I'm the Lord that walk among you. If you're new to our church, I preach a sermon like, God don't want to step in your, never mind, we're going to move on. Right there. But I was courageous enough to preach it because the word of God says it. Bury it. Why would you bury it? To prevent the spread of disease. Things that most cultures had no inclination would affect them negatively. God knew these things, obviously, as being all knowledgeable or all knowledge proceeding from him, and he's sharing it with the people through what? The Torah, which is the instruction. And so then we come to this passage of Scripture here, which seems to stand out, because God now speaks to the children of Israel and says, when you're about to move the camp, he said, I need you to do this. I need you to isolate every man that's a leper, every man that hath an issue. Did you notice those three things? And then also those that are defiled by the dead. He said, and I want you to use, he used this word, he said, I want you to separate them or to put them out of the camp because God's intent was to protect the people from contamination, to protect the whole. The people knew nothing about germs. They didn't know anything about COVID protocol. They didn't know about rubber gloves and masks. Are you out there? But God knew that in the process of the camp being together, that disease could spread. And if you didn't head it off in the beginning, once it spread into that small of a, of, a, of a geographical area with that large number of people, the entire camp could be wiped out. We've seen and heard of entire nations 
affected negatively by a disease that's, you know, we, we call them plagues in our generation. So isolation was intended to eventually produce restoration because the people were in covenant with God. So the separation was necessary. Of those three things that were mentioned, leprosy, flowing issues, and defiled by the dead, each one of those is a sickness to, to a certain degree. And, and with this, it's a, a physical ailment. Um, but it's more than that. So what I do, I teach along the line, I teach of something called typology. The things that were written aforetime, written for our learning, some of those are types. And so the Bible gives us a way of looking at things. First that which is natural, then that which is spiritual. What does that mean? That means God takes natural things, because we're natural people. And we've, adap- we've adapted and acclimated to living in a natural world. But God is high and holy. And he's spiritual. And sometimes we don't know how to relate to this high and holy God who's not moved by the things that are in the natural world. So God says, I will teach you through things you know. Natural things. So those three things that are mentioned can actually represent spiritual things. Leprosy can represent the corrupt, deteriorating growth of the sin nature. The sin nature. I'll talk about that in a moment. And then the issue, the issues that are flowing out of the flesh... Those are related to especially sexual issues. Not all, but issues that flow out of the flesh. And then we have defiled. Defiled, when they picked up a dead body. And so there's the continual interaction or contact with unregenerate people can leave you, to a certain degree, defiled. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about when you are amongst heathen all day long, and they got their jam on all the time. And it's pounding in your ears and all their speech and all their language. Are you out there today? So we're going to look at this today and we're going to see, but wait a minute. Here's this God of all grace who's calling the people to put out people because of the season of life they're in. It might could, very possibly would contaminate the entirety of the, of the camp. And God's design was to protect the whole. Now, God was compassionate, I believe, to those that were isolated. But let me just tell you this. Here's a quick statement for you. Separation was and is a painful process. Setting outside of the camp, the contaminated people could be very painful and a very emotional experience. Because the children might still be in the camp while dad's living outside. And so we have spouses, fathers, children, friends, co-workers... The person that you've been walking with and talking with is suddenly outside the camp. Brothers and sisters set apart and live outside the camp until declared clean. So the people had to do something. You know what they had to do? They had to trust God. They had to trust the Lord and the wisdom that God, give, that God was giving them. Separation was the only way to provide true isolation. Again, I've said it previously, I'll say it again. The objective was if we read it in the fourth, the third verse, God said that they defile not their camp because even this, I dwell among them. Failure to obey could contaminate the whole camp. And so really what you're seeing here is you're seeing a divine revelation of something through separation. It's the word that I'm using, but it's actually also quarantine. If you look back in the history of mankind, man has not known what God knows. And in doing so, we often lived tainted, paidful lives, corrupted, sinful lives, and oftentimes lives that are, uh, that are unclean in the natural as well as in the spiritual, and then we reap the consequences from it. And so, but God had given wisdom in his word that if we had looked back on it historically, it would help even generations. Actually, you know, even in this context of just very, very quickly of, of, of defilement, you think about the Mosaic law for a minute or the law of Moses. There were things related to the diet. God cared about what they ate. Why? Is it because just because they would become unclean? No, it's because they would be unhealthy. Right? And then also God cleared about their sexual uh, relationships. And and it's because God wanted to protect the family and also to prevent them from sexually transmitted diseases. Are you out there today? There's a lot of things that we see that are practical in the Scripture. And God was, was teaching the children of Israel. One of the things that I've noted years ago that did you know that the bubonic plague, the black plague of, of ancient Europe, did you know that how it decimated the continent? Decimated. I think about 60 million people died during that particular time frame. And they could never get a hold of it. They could never get a hold of it. And why was that? It's because the infirm person was often brought into the living room of the house where everybody was gathered around them in, 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 in trying to, to, to 
minister to them or to take care of their needs and they weren't isolated or quarantined and then it spread it continued to spread did you know history tells us that they finally got control control of it because somebody said let's go back to the book let's see what god had to say and even christians in those days were uh complicit if you will in passing the disease because christians in that time period considered bathing a taboo I know it's hard for us to fathom, those of you who take seven baths a day. But the Jewish people, under the Mosaic law, had a revelation here from God that if there's sickness in the house, quarantine it. Get it outside. Get it outside the camp. Because God could see what they couldn't see. It's called germs. But guess what? That's natural, but God can see in our lives as well. He can see the things that are damaging and that, that, will, that will corrupt our lives. And so here's a question. I'm going to shift for just a moment and come back to these three things for just a moment. Separation. I know you all shouting me down, but I'll tell you what, it's a necessary part. I believe that God is doing something in First Assembly. I've been using the, the term transition, but I may be shifting it re, uh, in the days ahead. We may be being separated for a purpose. And sometimes, I'll get to it in a moment, sometimes separation is by choice. Here's a fair question for the church of our generation, the New Testament church of our generation. Are we expected to accommodate all people? Is there a potential for spiritual contamination or defilement? Fair question. Did you know there are religious people who I believe have a form of godliness but deny the true power of the gospel, expect us to open our arms to all types of behavior and all actions of people in a way that you're affirming every life and lifestyle? Listen, God loves all people, all people. Jesus died on the tree for all. But God's not going to change for our distorted view of life. When the word of God is clear from the Genesis forward, Paul said of that religious person that I spoke of just a moment ago, ago, he said, from such, turn away. Let me ask you this question. Can the church ever arrive at a place where they have to separate themselves from defiled folks? Let's go now, now, some of you that I've known for a long time that you are theologians, I heard a lot of yeses. But a lot of those that might be newer to the faith say, really? Because all I hear about in our generation is being inclusive, inclusive. And there are times when God says, put away. Set outside the camp. Let's go. Let me share it on the screen. They're going to put it on the screen. I gave them this passage. Now, the context of this passage here is sexual immorality in the Corinthian church. To the degree that Paul said it's not even named typically amongst the Gentiles. Because what degree of sexual uh, sin was it? It was a man in the church who was having a sexual relationship with his father's wife. Presumably not his mother, but his stepmother. And Paul, earlier in the text, said, and you're not even grieved that this brother's up here dancing and rejoicing and shouting at church. And he is going and sleeping with his father's wife. And so Paul addresses that in that text. That's where this text comes from. So now he's alluding to an unknown or unnamed epistle to the Corinthians. I wrote unto you previously in an epistle. And what did I tell you? Not to company with fornicators. Now with that though, look what the clarification he says. Not all together with the fornicators of this world or the covetous or the extortioners or the idolaters. Because he said, you'd have to go out of the world. God didn't call us to live in a monastery. I'm a pastor. I'm not a monk. Come on, somebody. We're not isolated in the mountain of the hills. We're called to be salt and light. Right? So he said, he's bringing clarification. I wasn't telling you that it was the fornicators of this world. Because every time you go to Walmart, I'm making it, are you? I'm making it to you every time that you go to the ball game or every time you're at work, the co-workers among you, they are of the world. They don't, they're not born again, and they don't know Christ as you know Christ. And he said, I'm not telling you not to have company in some sense or some relationship in some sense with some of those. He said, but look at this. Let's read further. He said, but now I'm written unto you not to keep company if any man that's called a brother, if he's called a brother, and be a fornicator or covetous or idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner. He said, don't even eat with this brother. Don't even eat with them. Why? Because God's protecting the camp, right, from this ideology of this practice where it's people that are called brothers, but they're living a life 
that is not submitted to the will of God. And it's a challenge, and separation is a challenge. And so Paul here concludes, what do you do? 13th verse, jumping ahead. He said, those that are outside, they'll stand before God. But on the inside, he said, put away from yourselves that wicked person. So Paul gave strong language to that person that was involved in that, uh, that sexual relationship with his stepmother. He said, put him outside the church. Now, obviously, if you read that, the Scripture teaches restoration, repentance that leads to restoration. I said it earlier, I'll say it again, separation is not always easy. But it's necessary, right? Because the enemy always strives to corrupt from within. Let's go a little bit farther. 2 Corinthians 6 and 14 says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? But in 2 Thessalonians, Paul says it one more time, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. We only read three verses. But I just want to affirm to you this ancient biblical practice that we see Moses telling the children of Israel that, that when we bring it into the New Testament times, we still have that principle in us. That there are times when that, that, that it's a hard, sometimes you have to keep people a hand's length, right? And sometimes you can say, brother, I can't walk with you any longer. I can't keep company with you any longer. You're called a brother, but you're not living a life that's pleasing to the Father. Are you out there? 2 Thessalonians 3, verse number 6 says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of Jesus. Now you think right there. Stop right there. When you typically hear that, in the name of Jesus, we command you. When you hear that, typically you think, okay, this is spoke against the enemy. Satan, I command you to go in Jesus' name. Or sickness in our bodies. I command you to go in Jesus' name. But look what Paul says. I command you in the name of Jesus, withdraw from every brother that walketh disorderly. That's hard, isn't it? That's difficult. That's a difficult season. But how many of you know that we could be in such a season where the culture is demanding among us that if we're going to be true to our convictions that we got to have the courage to separate? Let's go farther. Let's read the 14th verse. If any obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, have no company with that man. He said that he might be what? Ashamed. Don't count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So typically with God, all separation and isolation is for the purpose of repentance that can lead to restoration. It's difficult in the American church you put somebody out of the church in that sense for a corrupt and a wicked lifestyle, as they're called to brother, they simply go up to the next church where they're welcomed and they're celebrated because the evil church down the road, the evil religious traditionalist church, didn't welcome them. The will of God is to separate from professing believers who are still following the sinful nature of the old man. Now, for you and I here today, real quickly, I want to say this again. The church is not a monastery. We're to go and preach the gospel. How many you know the very things that were talked about, the lepers, the woman with the issue of blood, or the contact of the dead, those, all those things Jesus did. Jesus touched those people. So even as I'm saying that, I'm not saying that somebody's beyond. I'm telling you, they're not beyond the grace of God. Right? They just have to be confronted with the issue so that they can repent and then be welcomed back into the force of the fellowship or into the strength of the fellowship. You say, well, Pastor Brown, well, well, let me tell you about Jesus for just a moment. Jesus went to and ministered to all those, the lepers, the woman with the issue of blood, and he himself contacted the dead. But he had never, he never accommodated sinful behavior. Rather, he reproved it. Right? He was quick to reprove it. So you say, well, what about when unbelievers come to church? We welcome men and women to come to church with love and kindness and grace. Come on, somebody. We just don't change the doctrine. I don't change it for you. I'm not changing it for anybody else. Right? It's in the book. We're going to preach it with conviction. We're going to let the Word of God do what it's called to do, which is change us. Come on, somebody. Right? And so when people come to the assembly of believers, our heart is this. We pray that there is a spirit of conviction among us. But there won't be a, a spirit of conviction among us towards others if we don't have a spirit of conviction to ourselves, to our own self and our own lifestyle. Listen, I'm not here to look at your lifestyle. I'm here to challenge mine today. To say, God, whatever part of my life that I need to separ be separated from. I'll go into this for just a moment, and then I'm going to make it personal to you. There is a revelation in the types. Remember, I've talked to you over the years about typology. Typology, a type. 
in the Old Testament. This was a type of this. Let me give you an example so you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. How many of you know the Passover lamb was a type of Jesus dying on the cross? Oddly enough, oddly to us, but not to God, Jesus died on Passover. On the day of Passover. So, we, so now you know. Okay, all right, I'm familiar with that. The Passover lamb that was offered on behalf of the children of Israel when the blood was put on the lintel and the doorpost, that's a type of the day that Jesus Christ on a hill called Calvary, a mountain called Golgotha, that there he was, come on somebody, he was hung on the tree so that his blood would flow and it would be applied to our lives and we would be delivered from sin. Come on somebody. So we have type, typology. There's a number, hundreds of types in the Old Testament that have a New Testament fulfillment. Let me tell you real quickly about those three that I mentioned briefly. Leprosy. Leprosy was a disease that was decaying in nature, corrupting. Uh, it could start out as a small sore, and then it could grow. And the children of Israel were required to separate the brother that had leprosy so that seven days later they would go about and evaluate him and to see, is it growing or is it not? If there's no growth, watch it for another seven days. If it begins to heal, there was a process to bring him back into the camp. But if it continues to grow and continues to grow, he would be considered a leper until there was a divine moment in his life. So in typology, it's typically associated with the the deteriorating growth of sin, the sin of Adam, the sin, even even if you will, for today, and this might be arguable in, in theology, I think to a degree, I would call it, to a degree, the odadamic nature, the sin nature. Because why is that? Because for leprosy, there was no earthly remedy for leprosy. It would take a supernatural healing. Supernatural. So the cleansing of the leper then would be dependent upon the supernatural healing power of God. And then the subsequent cleansing from being unclean. So when a leper was declared clean, he would then, listen to this, here was the process that the priest gave, now remember typology, that would, that would announce the former leper as being clean. They would take two birds, two birds, turtle dove or pigeon, and they would slay one of the birds. And they would take that, they would slay that bird with his, with his blood over water, and they would take that other bird and they would dip uh, one of his wings in the blood of the one that was slain, So that his wing was covered in blood, and then they would let that bird loose. And so it was the act of, it was the process of a former leper now being declared clean. And so the man with leprosy would be sprinkled with the blood and the running water. He would wash his clothes, shave his flesh, bathe in running water, and he would be declared clean. Where's the typology? Because one bird represented the death of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, and the other bird that was set free represents the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know the only way that you'll ever be free from that old Adamic nature, your propensity to sin, that that thing inside of you that's dominated you, is when you recognize that there's no earthly remedy, it's only through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ and your commitment and your belief and your faith in Him, and then the power of His resurrection. Glory to God. Number two, there were issues. There was the ongoing, this is a tough one, i got to be careful with this one. The ongoing outflow of the discharge of the flesh. I don't know what other preachers are preaching about in Hebrew Springs today. But whether it was blood or a bodily fluid, Did you know when you get saved, here's what the scripture says, sin is now contained in the flesh. Because in the spirit, how many know you're now clean? Right? He sent his holy spirit into my heart crying, Abba, Father. Come on, somebody. Yet my flesh, sin is still contained in my flesh. And if I don't mortify it, it will leak out. Are you out there today? That's the almost sanctified way I can say it. And so while there was no specific remedy that was mentioned in the process of, 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 of someone with the issue of blood being healed, there was no remedy that was mentioned. There was a process for cleansing. Here it was, real quickly. And I'm just trying to show you the typology and the separation because people might be separated, but we don't want to leave them out there if at all possible. We want them to know that there's cleansing, there's a means. Maybe we kept you here this far like this a little bit is because of your contaminated lifestyle. 
But if, if you'll conform to the will of God and begin to walk in, 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 in correction and walk in the humility that God requires of us, Here's what the scripture says, that the process for cleansing of those with issues is that their bodies would be washed and bathed over a period of seven days, and their clothes would wash, and they would bathe their flesh. So let me just tell you real quick, I'll make it in a nutshell. The areas of your life that are contaminated by the flesh must be washed by the washing of water by the word of God. Right, and so you'll as you begin to get this word inside you, meditating on the word, pondering the word, uh, conforming your life to the word of God, looking into the perfect law of liberty, and not being afraid of the instruction of the Torah, in essence of the word of God, whether it be in Genesis all the way to Revelation, that we embrace the teachings of Scripture. That if God says it's clean, it's clean. If God said it's unclean. If God says, I see every thought, every imagination before a word's even formed on your tongue, I already know what you're about to say. Then stop making excuses. There's no excuse for you to have a potty mouth. There's no excuse for you to have such a hard, cold uh, disposition when nobody wants to be around you. Deal with it in the eyes of God. Lay yourself on the altar until you get it right. Come on, somebody. Wash yourself by the washing of water of the Word of God. How often? Every day. Every day get up and say, God, let me walk according to the word. And when the Lord shows me something in my life, in my character that's unclean, I'm going to scrub it out. I'm going to wash it out because I, I want to be pure in his eyes. Because I heard last week that the preacher said this, God is holy and he's looking for a holy people. And I want to be numbered amongst those that he says you're called out. Come on, somebody. And lastly, number three, defiled by the dead. Sometimes it was necessary for the children of Israel. If it was your loved one that passed, it was your friend, you might pick them up and have to carry them to the burial process or the burial chambers. And in doing so, you were considered unclean until you were cleansed. Why is that? To prevent further contamination. And remember what Paul said. How I many know there's no way to get totally away from it? I mean, I mean you, can be saying, you can leave here. I am, oh, Shatakaya Mosia. Our pastor is preaching his holiness, his sanctification, cleansing. And you say, I, I, I tell you, I'm putting it all away from me. Hey, anybody want to go with me? We're going to go to Sonic. And, and we're sitting in Sonic, and you pull up, and the neighbor beside you has got his window down, and he's got his gem on, and it's filth and foul. And over the loudspeaker there, it's filth and foul. Are you out there? And you pass four uh, billboards getting there uh, that, that had pornography on them. I can tell you how quickly you can be defiled. I, I have been doing a blue letter Bible search or Bible gateway search in preparation for a sermon to have an ad pop up. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to be as holy as any man can be holy in this generation and using the tool, though, to help me in study, and then suddenly, are you hearing me today? That's how quickly. That's why Paul said you, the only way to prevent that would be to, when, when the Lord comes, right? That's when we'll be not around the dead. But as long as you're here, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna cross the path. And so God had a unique remedy for those that were contaminated by the dead. This was the sprinkling of the ashes of the red heifer. And I know most of you don't know anything about that, and that's not what this sermon's really about. It's about the challenge of separation, because I'm going to shift it in just a moment. Because in this sense, it was separation by command. But I'm going to close with a different thought on separation for just a moment. You say, well, then how was the person defiled by the dead brought back into the camp when he was put out? Is that they did this. They took the ashes of a red heifer without any singular white hair on the body whatsoever. The priest would examine it from tail to its head to its hoof to determine if it was totally pure. And once it was totally pure, they would slaughter it and sacrifice to God. They would burn it and take its ashes. And then the ashes would then be mixed with water. And then they would take that of of uh, a cedar tree and then they would then sprinkle the individual and that would produce cleansing for the individual and he would that was previously declared unclean would now be declared clean i know it's complicated but i want you to know what does the ashes of the red heifer talk about well our prophet caleb was preaching about it earlier because he said this the finished work the finished work of christ the finished work of Christ has done this in you. It's produced two things, justification and sanctification. You were of the world, but now you've been justified. 
And so when you're in the world and you sometimes go home feeling like the world, you got to remind yourself that you are not of the world. You might be in the world, but you are justified by Christ Jesus. And not only am I justified by Christ, I am sanctified by his redemptive work on the tree. And so that process of cleansing for the defiled one who contacted the dead is just simply be reminded of his finished work and who you are in Christ Jesus. And you can get up tomorrow and go right back into that same work environment. And you can determine you're going to be the light. You're going to be the light. Now, let me say as I shift this message briefly to close, we have to exercise the proper balance of separation. I don't want to ever be that critical, judgmental. That person is hard, is so hardened where I'm judging your life. Jesus warned us of things like that. It's called hypocrisy, right? But I don't want to be afraid to recognize that as who we are in Christ, we're just to be able to discern between good and evil, right and wrong. Part of the ministry of the priest is what? To be able to teach between clean and unclean. And you need to know those things because God's calling you to be separate. Now, that was a command of separating the camp. But I want to switch for this. I, I gave them a in closing, in closing. Now, I know the moment Pastor Brown says that, there are triggers of thought that run through the mind of many people under the sound of my voice. That anytime he says in closing, some of you buff your spouse and say, don't believe a word he's saying right there. In closing means that I'm, I'm narrowing it down towards the end. I've been praying about our church. I've talked about these words. I've talked about transition. But something is starting to shift inside me that says, but wait a minute. God might be doing something entirely different in our fellowship. It may not be transition. It may be separation. It may be saying a people that says, you know what? I don't have to maybe repeat the mistakes of bygone generations where holiness and sanctification became legalism and caused a lot of people to stumble. Or I'm preaching better than y'all shouting. It did cause a lot of people to stumble. But you know what we did? We threw the baby out with the bathwater and then we took the whole tub and half of the bathroom too. And now we don't even teach about it. And we've got people in the church whose lives are just as carnal as people of the world. And that's not the will of God. I told you last week, I'll tell you again, 1 Thessalonians 4 says this, this is the will of God for your life, even your sanctification. Remember what Paul said, having therefore these promises, let us, do what? Cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Perfecting what? Holiness in the sight of God. Not that you try to make yourself spiritually elite. How many of you know that would become arrogance in the eyes of God? And the Bible says that God brings down those who are proud, but he lifts up those that are humble. So it's not for spiritual arrogance to make us an elite Christian. It's because we recognize that God is holy and he's called us to be his children and the world is wicked, evil, sensual, right? It has leprosy. It flows with fluid, come on, and it's defiled by the dead. And you're in the world, but not of the world, so therefore be holy as he is holy, right? That's how this should be inside of us. So we're going to close. So that was the fifth chapter. We're going to flip to one chapter. That was, that was separation by command, if you will. Separate the camp. But you know what? There's a part of this as I close that I want to leave you with that I feel the Lord compelling me. He's doing this in my life. I don't know if he'll do it in yours. How about separation by choice? That's just where it's, this was by command. Flip one page over in your Bible to number six. Number six gives us something called, and I, and I promise you this is the end. This is the end. It's called the Nazarite vow. Have you heard about the Nazarite vow? Let's just read it for a minute. It's only eight verses there, and then I'm going to close with three other verses over you in prayer. But, but let's just read about it real quickly. The Nazarite vow. 
The Nazarite vow says, speaking to the children of Israel and saying to them, when either man or woman shall separate themselves. Have you ever been in that season of your life where you just said, I'm defiled by the world? You don't, how many of you know you don't have to be pillowing your head in Delilah's lap to be defiled, to feel unclean, to be to, things that you watch, that you listen to. You're, suddenly you notice things that you're saying. Where did you hear that? You heard it because you worked in the world. And then all of a sudden you were, come on, you become a chameleon by accident. And, and suddenly now it's reflected in your nature. You're coming home and there's an anger and a tendency towards frustration with your family. That's defilement. Right? That's the effects of this world pressing in. But here in this text right here, he said, but if you come to that place in your life where you just say, you know what? I, I just want to go to the next level. I just want to go to this place in my life where I commune with God on a deeper moment or a deeper place and I hear his voice. He said, then you separate yourself. And look, the Nazarite vow was separating from wine and strong drink. That would get you thrown out of a lot of churches. <laughs> oh, nobody said amen to that. I had a couple of smirks, but that's okay. I'm just telling the truth. Here, no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink or of liquor, of grapes, or even eat moist grapes or dried. No raisins or that bowl of grapes that's in my refrigerator right now. They were going all the way over to the edge. All the days of his separation, he said. He said, that's from the vine, the kernels of the husk. And he said, and during the day of the separation, he said, don't let your hair be cut. Keep your, let your hair because it's identifying you as being separate. Notice in the fifth word, verse, he shall be holy. Then the sixth verse, all the days that he's separated, he's separated unto the Lord. And so it just means that during that time period that you just make aware and say, okay, my, my loved one died in the living room, but I can't move them. I'm in my separation vow before God, somebody else. They're going to have to call Olmsteads, or they're going to have to call the Hebrew Springs Funeral Home to come move them because I, I can't touch them. And I, I, that's when somebody says, hey, you want to go see this? You say, no, I, I really don't want to go. Or somebody says, hey, man, have you heard about these tunes here? And he says, I, I really don't want to listen to that right now. Or what about this sports event? Well, I, I really don't even want that right now because I'm in this moment where I just want him. I want to be like John. I want to pillow my head on the bosom of Christ. I, I want to smell his sweet fragrance. I, I, want to have the, I want to hear his voice. I want to know him. That's a separation by choice. That's when you just say, God, I want this season of my life where I'm just drawn closer to you. Amen. Separation by command, but separation by choice. Look at the eighth verse. All the days of his separation, he's holy to the Lord. Did you know, church family, totally completing the sermon, a message like I'm preaching to you today will fall on deafened ears in the majority of the church world today. They would put me in context to the far overzealous religious hypocrisy of bygone generation. That's not anywhere near my heart for you today. My heart is this, God is holy. Your life will be forever better when you learn that sometimes it's separation by command and sometimes it's separation by choice. But either way, I get up in the morning and I learn, but wait a minute, this awesome, amazing God has called me into fellowship with him. And my life should reflect that relationship. That's the beauty of it. Don't run from this doctrine of, I know, oh, wait, 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 I know, I know in days gone by, the doctrine of sanctification and holiness hurt you as a child because it went over the top. I know that there are people that are, but, but, but don't let that happen to you. Don't fail to recognize that he that is holy is calling you to be holy. Let that be in your heart today. Have the courage to do so. Brother Dale, would you join me here today? Hmm. Sanctification, separation, consecration. Put away, put out of the camp, make choices. How many know God calls us? He calls us. To be and to live differently. 
I'll tell you what I actually think could happen. What I think, we want revival in America. Many people do. Oh, oh, America needs revival. We say that all the time. People, oh, we need revival. I'll tell you what, here's my belief. I don't believe we will have revival in America until we have holiness in the church. I'm just being honest with you. I, 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 so before we shout it to the world, how about we just look internally? And I'm, I didn't come along to look at your life. I just came along to teach the Word of God. These things, remember this. Let's go back. 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. These things were written for your learning. Weren't they, Shane? For your learning. About putting out a leper. Or putting out somebody who had an issue of blood. That just said, brother, I'm not going to treat you as an enemy. I'm going to pray for you. But you got things flowing out of you that I, I can't have you in that part of my life right now. And it's hard to do that at times. But you just got to make your mind up. He that is separate is holy unto the Lord. And we have to trust. Here's what we have to trust. We have to trust the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. That when I know that somebody has a life or a lifestyle that is totally unscriptural. And they've been reproved of it. And I choose to separate. That doesn't mean we leave them in the hands of God and the work of his Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God can go where you cannot go and do what you cannot do. So don't get judgmental over them. But in your heart of empathy, you pray for them that they will cleanse themselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the Spirit and perfect holiness in the sight of God. You know, several years ago, It was a contrast to me. So this is from the hip now. Not several years ago, but three nights ago, I was, I was given an opportunity. I went with Dr. Brathfield for Pastor Appreciation Day. He wanted to take me up on, uh, he had a group of his destiny ministers to, to go on a little small hunting trip. And so I, I went with him. Shane gave me a, a gun that didn't shoot well. <laughs> I don't know why. Dr. Brathfield's gun shot better. But nonetheless... The highlight of the trip for me was the fellowship of that group of ministers, small that it was, around the table, that just, they sold out to God, they, they love their families, their speech is guarded, guarded, they're choosing their words carefully, and, and, and it was a beautiful thing. And it made me contrast, several years ago, I was the president of the uh, the ministerial alliance here in Heber Springs for about two years. And I found myself on a Good Friday service sitting in an Episcopal church. And I thought to myself, the Episcopal church has ordained a, a lesbian as the leader of the church. And I said, what in the world am I doing there? And I haven't been back to one since, to any of those meetings. Now, I need to correct some of that by fellowshipping with others of a like-mindedness more than I do. I'll be honest. I'll admit that first and foremost. But the point I'm making is, is that life sometimes puts you in a place when you're forced to decide. This is who I am. This is who God is. This is what I feel like my calling is. And I'm going to be courageous enough to follow it. Would y'all stand up with me today? Would you be willing to do something? If you feel like God is calling you in your life just a little bit deeper. Because I want to show you something that I've, I've I saw for the first time. I've looked over it a hundred times, but I didn't make this correlation till just now, till this week, till two days ago, three days ago when I was studying. If you're here today and you'd say, Pastor Brown, God's doing something in my life. Did you know God's doing a lot of different things in different people's lives? And our journeys are different, and they're on different paces. That's why we don't judge, right? We, we, we're careful in that sense. But we want to create the atmosphere or the, the environment where people can be transparent before God and say, God, here I am. Work in me. Sanctify me. Consecrate me. Come on, somebody. Change me. Let me be holy. If I'm going on the, college, on the high school campus, let me be different than the other students. If I'm going to work, let me be different. Let me not laugh on those, on those jokes that everybody's telling. Come on, somebody. All that stuff. You make a decision. If the people amongst today that says, Pastor, 
I just feel like God is calling me into a different a, 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 a season of, of, of communion and depth of fellowship with Him that may involve me being aware of holiness and separation. I, I want to just kind of, the Nazarite showed it by his hair. If that's you, step forward because I'll show you something here today. If that's you, just say, I'm not trying to be anything I'm not. This is just, I feel the Lord. I just feel the Lord. I hope the whole church, I hope the whole church just says, I'm th now again, I'm not trying to take your journey and compare it with this journey. That'd be wrong, wouldn't it? That's where we get into that dangerous area of our life. But, but if you do, if you do, I want to ask you, because I, I want to show you something in just a second, but I want to give you a moment to pray before we do. I want to give you a moment to just search your heart before the Lord. Now, I know this. If, there, sometimes the altar fills up, and you say, Pastor, that's like the camp, so congested. I don't know that I'm right there that close. I understand. Just because you didn't come to the forward doesn't mean that you're not, you're not with me in spirit right now. But I want you to pray, if you would. God, sanctify me. Set me apart. Work in me. Teach me about your holiness, God. Let me see you, God. Moses saw the glory of the living God. And Moses spoke differently. Moses was meek and humble because he had seen the presence of God. Father, when your spirit reproves us or corrects us about a part of our life that may be a lifestyle choice, let us receive the conviction. Come on, somebody. That, that, I think that's a fair, I mean, that's not over the top. That's just saying, Holy Spirit, would you show me that I've been living away or I've been watching something or listening to something or hanging out with people or I've been doing something or whatever, drinking something, smoking something, whatever. There's a lot of somethings that you can put in front of that. A lot of things, a lot of things. I'm not trying to identify all those areas. I'm just kind of, I just want you to know, but it's when the Spirit, the Spirit of God, if it's defilement by the dead, if it's the leprosy, if it's the flowing issues of the flesh, come on, deal with it in the sight of God. Let the Lord cleanse you of it. Be clean. God, we make commitments to you today. Come on, if there's anybody under the sound of my voice that says, Pastor, I want to repent of my sin today. Whatever sin that is, and let's pray. The scripture says, what a gift repentance is. Repentance is where we say, Lord, forgive me. But not just forgive me, that's not repentance. Change me. Turn me a different direction, God. Help me to walk in a life that's pleasing to you. I don't know what's going up at other churches. All I know is God call first assembly into a season of the Nazarite. Call us into a season of walking differently, talking differently, looking differently, acting differently, dressing differently. Every part of our life, God, that we might have a fragrant anointing of your Son upon us. That we won't smell like death, we'll smell like life. Come on, somebody. We'll have his fragrant anointing on our head. God, I don't know the words, but the people... If there's sin in your life, just tell you that. Whoever you are today, turn to the Lord Jesus. Turn to him with all your heart. Believe on Christ. Repent of your sins. Walk in faith. Walk in faith. It's a journey. Come on, it's a journey. Think about the Nazarite for a moment. He made the vow at the house of God, but then he had to walk it out. He had to have that challenge to say that he might have went... He might have been in his family home and that somebody might have said, well, here, here we've got a, a cup of grape juice or wine. But the Nazarite would say, no, not today. Hand me water. Are y'all out there today? He'd, he'd say, no, no, not, not today. Somebody said, well, there's a funeral procession. They need help. We've got to go get the, the body was in the house. We've got to move him. He said, I'm sorry. My heart's, my, I have empathy towards the family, but, but not today. Not today. I can't go there because of separation. Separation by command, but separation by choice. God bless the people. In Jesus' name, let everybody look up this way. I'll close today.
Because Pastor, you already said you'd close. I said I was closing. Have you, how many of you, this was the Nazarite vow, chapter 6, verse 1 through 8 at least. You, how many of you had heard of the Nazarite vow previously? Nazarite vow. How many of you have pre, heard of the priestly blessing? The priestly blessing, right? Some churches, they close the service by speaking the priestly blessing. How many of you know, for the first time, I don't know why, it took me 30 years of preaching the gospel to make the connection. The Nazarite vow and the priestly blessing are in the same chapter. As if God said to the people that said, I want to live separate, bless those people. Come on, bless those people. So that's what I want to do to the church. Whether you're here at the altar or not, you know in your heart whether you are determining in your heart to walk holy before God. Here's what I would say to you today. Those of you that echoed my heart and my words, not that they're your words, but you, you had your own words. God knows your heart. I don't. I'm not trying to. I, I, I can't walk your life for you. I can only walk mine. But as a pastor, here's what I want to say to all of you that this message bore witness with your spirit today. May the Lord bless you. And may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And may the Lord be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And may he give you peace. And I pray over you today in the name of Jesus. And I speak the life and the blessing of God. God, call our church to be separate. Separated by command. Separate the camp. But separate by choice. And let us walk in love and walk in grace. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, somebody. And all God's people said amen and amen and amen and amen and amen.